indeed to Linda and Co for getting my picture on the screen, and hopefully it's going to move when I ask it to. I did. What's on my? It's yeah, that's fine. That's great. Am I okay? I just need turned up, not turned on. Turned up. That's all right. Excellent. Well. For the last couple of months on Sunday mornings, we've been thinking about risk, risking for God or risking it for God, and we've been looking at passages in Philippians, and I believe this is the last one, the final countdown today, Philippians chapter 4, 10 to 20. So we're going to look together at that passage, and uh, let me just read it to us. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. This is Paul, who's writing from prison. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want." I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That's a fantastic verse worth coming for on its own. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, not that I desired... You sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I lived in Scotland for 30 years, and I could only have heard this in Scotland, and that is there are two kinds of people in the world. There are Scots, and there are those who wish they were Scots. (laughs) We, We could test that out this morning. There are Scots. Raise a hand. Anybody else want to raise a hand? And those who wish they were Scots. Well, we've got some people there. It's so, it, it sort of calls the lie to the sort of thing. Um, I, I was in Scotland for 30 years, and so when I was involved in youth groups, and sometimes some of the kids would say to me, you're Sassanac, you're English. And I say, listen... I chose to be Scottish. You couldn't help it. And I've lived in Scotland more years than you've lived. So, butter it. But let's, let's play this game for a few moments about there are only two kinds of people in the world. And this picture might help us. It's a bar of chocolate. Okay. What do you do when you've got a bar of chocolate? You've got the wrapper off. Do you very neatly pick a square out Or do you just grab at it and pull a bit off? Or do you even put your teeth to it? Okay, the neat people, would you raise a hand? We've got a lot of neat people here. And the other people, raise a hand. What do the rest of you do? I don't know. 
but maybe you could tell us seriously as we get on to today's subject of giving out here is an important question are you a chucker or are you a hoarder let me explain my wife is a chucker and I am a hoarder I never put stuff out I save it in case it will come in useful someday but Ruth wants to Get stuff out of the way. So I bought these beautiful shoes in the market a couple of Saturday mornings ago. Yeah, have a look, Abe. A tenner. Waterproof. Marks and Spencers. Last year's model. A tenner. Excellent. But as soon as I took them home, Ruth says, you've got to throw your other pair of shoes out. (laughs) Gordon MacDonald, a preacher from the States, he's a writer and he's a preacher. And his wife made a rule in his house that whenever he bought a new book, he had to give five out of his library to the uh, bookstall somewhere. And it sort of came to a crunch when he found he was buying his own back from the charity <laughs> stall somewhere. A chucker or a hoarder? Who's the chuckers here? Who, who wants to clear the space? And who's the hoarders? Okay. Yeah, sit, sitting, on, sitting on the fence. Yeah, sitting on the fence a little bit. Here's another one. Are you a giver or an acquirer? A giver or an acquirer? Do you like to give stuff away or do you like to receive stuff? I, I was once at an amazing conference. It was sponsored by all sorts of Christian publishers. And every time we went into a conference session, there was a free gift on the seat. Sometimes it was a CD from unknown Christian artists and you took the CD home and you played it and you realized why they are unknown Christian artists and I've never heard of some of them since. But one day we went in, there was a leather-bound NIV study Bible on every seat. Wow! And there were lots of people didn't show up. So you picked up the one from your seat and along the row... You can see what's happening. But then the host got on the platform. He said, some of you here today have the gift of acquisition. We request that you do not exercise your gift this morning. <laughs> so we only got to take home one. The, the sort of uh, letdown with it was the print was so small you couldn't read it. So I think my daughter-in-law has that one. Here's last test of these sort of two kinds of people in the world. When you've got something, something that you want to dispose of, do you do it on eBay and hope to raise some money, or do you do it on FreeCycle? We're giving it away, and maybe you would go on FreeCycle one day and uh, get something free yourself. Who would tend to be the eBay people? You want some money back for whatever your surplus to requirements. Yeah, Dell. Yeah. <laughs> and, and who would tend to give stuff away? Charity shop. Okay. You don't need this sermon this morning at all. Paul writes here about giving out. Giving out, risking it for God, giving out as generosity. Generosity. I wonder if you regard yourself as a generous person or a naturally generous person. I I went on a tear fun visit to Egypt some years ago and I met a lady called Mama Maggie. She's sort of nicknamed the Mother Teresa of Cairo, and she dedicates her life to the children who live around a garbage village. She was formerly a Cairo businesswoman. 
When my colleague and I went to her house and shared a meal with her family, while she was away doing something else, we started inquiring of her husband. My colleague went for the jugular and he said to her, what's with the white clothes? And he said she started wearing white clothes when she gave her possessions away. And he said, and what about your suits? Did she give them away? He says, yeah, I had to go and buy them back. So here's this lady in white clothes who's so very, very generous, Mama Maggie. Then, then subsequent to that, Margaret, my wife, died, and I met Ruth, and I married Ruth. I've described Ruth as the most generous person I know. I'd never before known someone who was so ready to give things away, so much so that in my wedding speech, when Ruth and I got married 10 years ago, whatever it was, I referred to my meeting with Mama Maggie. I said I was quite happy for Ruth to wear white on our wedding day. But I made it clear that if I ever saw her wearing white again, I would be in trouble. (laughs) Frankly, she's been good and she hasn't done that. But she taught me a lot about generosity. Although not tight and never affluent, growing up as a baby boomer in post-war Liverpool in a terraced house, I was previously a lot more cautious about money and possessions. I grew up, as others of my age group might have done, in a culture of thrift rather than generosity. Thrift, keeping things, making things last, not putting stuff out, mending things. I'd experienced the security of consistent employment from graduation onwards, and even though money was sometimes in relatively short supply, especially when my kids came along, I'd never been in serious financial financial need. There was actually one time. My late wife Margaret needed bed rest before Kirsty was born, so my mum came to stay with us for about three weeks to look after us. And Margaret and I had got into the habit those years ago of supermarket shopping once a month in Asda or Fine Fur was our other supermarket. We tried not to buy stuff in between. Mum, however, went down the high street of our Scottish market town and replaced everything she used, item by item, from our larder in the deli grocer, who charged an arm and a leg. I think she liked to go there because she stood in the queue with the local gentry or the female equivalent, the Dowager Duchess of Hamilton. Unlike me, Ruth, like the Apostle Paul, knew what it was to be in need. As one of four kids in a family, she was conscious of the sacrifice her parents made to ensure the family had regular holidays, even if these involved youth hosteling, public transport and walking. That family never had a car. As a missionary with YWAM, Ruth held possessions lightly, and this was followed through when she became a church worker in Essex. People shared stuff. People gave her stuff, even at one time a car. And so she gave away stuff and it gave her joy. Now, part of this might have to do with personality type. She described me as a hoarder and herself as a chucker. Yet even as a natural hoarder whose innate inclination is to keep stuff for the proverbial rainy day or against the time when it would come in useful, I've discovered too the blessing of giving stuff away. Yes, the blessing of generosity. I wonder if blessing is a word you would associate with generosity or whether you would come from the position where you regard generosity as risky. 
Often when we teach about forgiveness, we might ask, who gets the greatest blessing? The one who's forgiven or the one doing the forgiven? And in recent years particularly, many of us have come to realize that there is great blessing, indeed greatest blessing, in forgiving those who have wronged us. And generosity seems to be the same. Paul explains this in our passage. The Christians at Philippi had been faithful supporters of him in his missionary career. Indeed, they were the only ones who'd supported him at a particular time of need when he was in Macedonia. When he was in Thessalonica, they supported him on more than one occasion. And now a guy called Epaphroditus has visited him in a Roman jail, bearing gifts from the Philippians. And Paul is delighted. Why is he delighted? Not because he needed these gifts particularly, but because of the blessing he knew that the Philippian Christians would receive on account of their generosity. The way he puts it, these gifts would be credited to their account. Isn't that amazing? The blessing which comes from giving. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the grace of giving or the gift of giving. The benefits, the blessings of giving stuff away. And there's a well-attested principle operating here. God is no man's debtor. If we give in response to God's prompting, we can trust God, our loving Heavenly Father, to watch our back. And the various expressions and scriptures which sort of remind us of this principle, cast your bread upon the waters and it will return to you after many days. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now there's an Old Testament story which Graham's drawn my attention to, which serves as a sort of morality tale illustrating this point. David and his followers had hit on hard times. They assumed they could get provisions from a guy called Nabal, who they'd helped out before. To put it crudely, he owed David one. And yet Nabal sent David's messengers packing without so much as a packet of crisps, and David was angry. He planned violent revenge. But meanwhile, Nabal's wife, Abigail, that is Nabal's beautiful wife, Abigail, she gets wind of the issue and decides to act. Unbeknown to her husband, not usually a good plan, Abigail collects supplies to offer to David, averting the revenge attack and saving her tight-fisted husband's life. But when she tells her husband Nabal what she's done, the shock kills him. David now takes generous, and did I say beautiful, Abigail for his wife. What's the moral of the story? Generous women end up marrying handsome kings. Tight-fisted husbands married to generous women are in mortal danger. You decide. In any event, tight-fistedness spelled trouble. Generosity rescued the day. Now, here's the rub. Which are you? Tight-fisted or generous? It's an expression that really caught my attention some time ago when I first heard it. You never truly possess something until you have the freedom to give it away. If you don't have such freedom, your possessions possess you. And if you have such freedom, then you know something about contentment. And Paul in this passage speaks about giving from a position of contentment. Paul has a few things to say about contentment here. Verse 11, I've learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 
I can do all this through him who gives me strength. In another place, Paul writes, godliness with contentment is great gain. I want to say this, godliness with contentment is not passivity. Godliness with contentment is not lack of drive, ambition, or passion. Godliness with contentment is not an unthinking acceptance of the status quo. And by the way, there is such a thing as a holy discontent, a holy discontent with injustice, a holy discontent with godlessness, a holy discontent which motivates us to do exploits for God. But the contentment which Paul testifies to is personal contentment, the contentment that comes from satisfaction. In the 60s, Mick Jagger couldn't get no satisfaction, but 2,000 years earlier, Jesus was offering life in all its fullness. Living water, which if you drunk it, offered complete satisfaction. So much so that you would never thirst again. Godliness with contentment involves prioritizing what's important. One of my favorite books in the Bible, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, we read this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? You see, money will buy a bed but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not an appetite. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Amusement, but not happiness. A crucifix, but not a savior. Paul says he has learnt in all circumstances, whether he's feeling wealthy, whether he's feeling in a situation of dire straits, a situation of need, whatever circumstance, he's learnt what it is to be content. That's the Christian condition. That's the Christian aspiration to be generous and to feel contented with what we have giving out is also an expression of worship in verse 18 paul describes the gifts delivered from the philippian christians by the hand of epaphroditus as a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to god so hear this our giving is an act of worship not simply our giving through the church by direct debit or the offering bag. Not simply our giving to evangelistic agencies or even our giving to Christian relief and development agencies. Our giving to bless others, whether in specific need or not, can be regarded as an act of worship. Some weeks ago now, Graham challenged us to ask the question about our possessions. What are they for? God's entrusted them to us so that we can use them to worship him by giving. Not that I think we should be totally undiscerning as to the recipients of our giving. In my Glasgow church, there was an elderly gentleman called Alec Boggs. No wonder his son Raymond, a journalist, adopted the surname Gardner. But this man stuck to Boggs. His wife was a Christian. She died just before I went to the church, and after he after she died, he started coming to our evening services. He became a Christian. As far as I can recall, he was in his 90s when I baptized him, and then he died. No direct correlation. There was a decent enough <laughs> interval in between. But at the funeral meal, which was organized by his journalist foodie son, I sat beside Raymond's son, who was Jewish because the mother was Jewish. 
and we had an interesting conversation about giving. This young man suggested to me that when you gave to charity, you sort of collected celestial brownie points. And if the recipients of your giving were actually scammers, it didn't matter. Because if you were cheated, you got even more brownie points. I was gobsmacked. I didn't get it, and I still don't. But he argued it was a Jewish principle. I believe that God's entrusted possessions and money to us to be used strategically for his glory and at his prompting, not to be recklessly or carelessly squandered, even on dodgy charities. We worship God when we give. We worship God as we offer acceptable sacrifices, pleasing to him when we target our giving. Worship involves the whole of life. And we worship the Lord with our offering, not only when the bag is passed on a Sunday morning, but every time that we disperse the resources that he's entrusted to us for his glory. Let me remind you, the series is entitled Risking for God. And some of us might ask the question, might even be thinking it now, isn't giving risky? Here's an interesting thing that Paul points out. Giving out generates met needs. Awkward sentence, but it says what it means. Verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I wonder if you believe that. Or are you missing out on the blessing of generosity because you've been scared or reluctant to take the risks involved? My God will meet all your needs. That's pretty embracing. Notice it's our needs that God will meet. I had a pastor once who regularly reminded us that God promises to meet our needs, but not our greeds. There are some preachers who major on prosperity theology. The more you give, the more you will get. I don't want to take you to that place. I want to take you to what Jesus said on the subject. Jesus said, why do you worry about food and clothes? Look at nature, the flowers of the field, the birds of the air. God looks after them and supplies their need. Why are you worrying yourself to distraction? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be yours as well. Jesus encouraged people to look at the birds of the air. That's a hobby bird watching that Jesus commended said the robin to the sparrow I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so said the sparrow to the robin friend I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me now there's an irony Paul writes to generous givers, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Then the God Paul refers to is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God Jesus encouraged us to call Abba, Daddy, Father. He's the one who gives good gifts to his children. He is the ultimate giver. And when we give, we reflect our creator. We reflect our (coughs) heavenly Father when we act generously. Just as I was looking at this passage in preparation for today, I went off piste a little bit as I was reminded that God loved the world so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's the ultimate giver. And as his children, we should reflect the family 
likeness. God's not tight. God's generous. Even if we're genetically tight rather than generous, as Christians, as new creatures, generosity should be in our DNA. And then it struck me, the passage, the series that we're in, talks about risking for God. I just began to ask the question, what did God risk when he gave his son? What did he risk? He didn't risk that people would take his son and kill him and nail him on a cross, because that was all part of God's plan. That was cunning. He didn't risk that. What it seems to me he risked was the possibility that some of us might not accept his gift. Isn't that interesting? God risked the possibility that some of us might reject his generosity. So I wonder where you are this morning. There are two kinds of people here this morning. Only two. There are those who've received God's gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Received the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us, to enable us, to equip us, to help us to be like Jesus. And there are those who as yet have not received the Father's good gift. And it's Easter week. It's Palm Sunday. My daughter heard I was preaching today and she said, how did you pull that one off? Because she knows that I used to love to preach on Palm Sunday. Well, different passage today, but it is Palm Sunday. It's Easter week, Holy Week, some people call it. We think about the progress of Jesus towards the cross. We're thinking about the gift of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. There's a focus on that. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with God's gift? It's a twin phone challenge for us today. The challenge to be generous as God is generous. Or if we're not generous as God is generous, to ask ourselves the question, what's the issue? Does the Holy Spirit need to do some new work in my heart to loosen up my wallet? I think it was Martin Luther who said... Every person needs two conversions, the conversion of the heart and the conversion of the wallet. Have you been converted in both areas? God wants us to give as an act of worship so that we may be blessed, so that we may experience his meeting of our needs. But he also wants to give to us and he wants us to receive his son as our savior and his spirit as our enabler. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want to give you the opportunity to just say to God the Father, please, please, by your spirit, would you help me to be as generous as the generosity I've heard described from your word this morning? Forgive me if I'm tight-fisted. Forgive me if I'm not trusting you in the area of giving. Loosen up my wallet. Loosen up my bank account. Make me more like Jesus. Make me more like yourself, Father God, who is the ultimate giver. And then for others here this morning who as yet have not received the free gift of God, which is salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection that we're thinking about in this next week. Father, I just pray for people in that situation here today that today might be a day when they receive when they receive salvation, the free gift. 
when they receive the person of the Holy Spirit as a living, indwelling presence. For Father, you're a good God, a good Father who knows what's good for his children. How much more, Jesus said, will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. Take the opportunity at the end of the service to ask somebody to pray with you about any of these issues. God bless you.